Uh, our second lesson is taken from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you can find that on page 1041 in the Pew Bibles, and it's on the service sheets, and I think probably on the screen. And I will be reading from verse 25 through to verse 37. So Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, John, for uh, reading the passage to us. Let's pray. Our Father, may my spoken words be faithful to your written word and lead us all to the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> you know, when I was a child... Uh, in York, I lived in a respectable neighbourhood, suburban semi. The family were quite dysfunctional, but they were dutiful churchgoers to St. Michael the Belfry. It was a bit of a weird church, a very happy clappy, and attracted some strange folk, particularly visitors off the street. And my mother used to invite people who were on their own, came to church, back to our home for Sunday lunch in the afternoon. We had to share our roast meal with some very odd types, make conversation, make them welcome. And as often as not, my dad would drive them to some place they needed to get to afterwards. 
we kids were very grumpy. These lunch guests were not always jolly entertaining, well-sorted, nice middle-class conversational experts. We wanted lunch, not this interruption, and when to get on with our hobbies, our work, or just hanging out or fighting each other. Why should we share the time with these strange people invading our space? My mum and dad were real good Samaritans in this way, and I had a lot to learn about being a good neighbour. So back to the verses in Luke 10 that John read to us. Do uh, look at them uh, in your Bibles if you keep them open. That would be good. So this is the first in the series of parables that we're going to be uh, going over the summer. We're going to have the rich fool, we're going to have the great banquet, the rich man and Lazarus. But first we're going to have the good Samaritan. Before this, Jesus had chosen 12 disciples and then 72, and he'd sent them out to the spiritual harvest fields, and they returned after some success. We read, casting out demons, healing the sick. But Jesus knew that the Christian life isn't always as easy as that, that the disciples will face challenges not just from demons, but from the establishment, the priests, the legal experts who wouldn't just accept the gospel of this Messiah, this this kingdom of God stuff, particularly as they think they already understand what good looks like, how to live, and the teachings handed down. So Jesus uses parables to explain, stories to get them to listen with none too subtle points about how radically different this new gospel is and what it means for his listeners, which included the disciples. Even though Jesus is telling this one to answer somebody else's question. So what does this parable say about what good looks like? How we should live and point others to. Yeah, it talks largely about what we should do. Of course, the Christian faith is also about being. Being humble, being repentant, believing, be accepting, be thankful, be listening. But when Jesus responds to the legal eagle's question, back there in verse uh, 25, what must I do? What must I do? Jesus takes him to the law, which he knows the man knows, and he trots out obediently. Verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Good. But Jesus points him straight to the point of the parable. Verse 28. Do this and you will live. Still feeling a bit cocky, Rumpole of the Bailey asks his follow-up question. But who is my neighbour? And as he did so often, Jesus wrong-foots him by telling him this parable to make him really think. So he starts. There was this bloke. Well, it doesn't quite say that, except in the modern version. And there were five people in this story. The victim, the priest, the Levite, the innkeeper, and a donkey. But we'll concentrate on the Good Samaritan from three angles. The Good Samaritan takes risks. The Good Samaritan goes the extra mile. The Good Samaritan sees what Jesus sees. Firstly then, the Good Samaritan takes risks. He was already in a risky place, walking or riding down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. There it is. 
It's about 17 miles through very lonely, rough, barren countryside. Even now, and I was there about six years ago, it feels similar. It doesn't feel very safe. And there was the man who'd been attacked and mugged there and left for dead. The, the Samaritan got there and he could have been suffering for hours in the heat and the dust. But he didn't rush by, fearing a trap or an ambush or wondering if the robbers were still around. He stopped, verse 33. Not just a, sorry mate, are you okay? As we might be tempted to do, then move on. But he stopped. Don't forget, this Samaritan was from a group that the Jews despised. Samaritans were low in the pecking order and the feeling was mutual. Jesus himself was made very unwelcome by a Samaritan village only in the previous chapter of Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. So stopping at all was a risk and could easily have been humiliated and rejected. I don't want to be touched by a Samaritan. But he stayed there in a dangerous place. He helped the man. Verse 34, he went to him. He risked his own escape option by putting the man on his donkey and leading him to safety. A bit later on, verse 35, he left money at an inn. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Now two denarii, that's about two days wages for a labourer. And he left an open checkbook if the cost was even more. They could have abused his good nature very easily. This is very unlike the two characters from much more lofty positions. The Levite, still seen as elite, especially holy. He wouldn't want to be defiled by touching what he thought was a dead body. And a priest, similarly respected. Oh no, they were much too busy, focused on their own journey and their priorities. They didn't want to take any risks. What about us? Do we walk by on the other side? Do we see a need and say, oh no, somebody else is a much better place to help. They've got more time, they've got more money, they've got a talent for hospitality. You know, I'm in awe of those people, for instance, who've taken Ukrainian families in, in the last year. It's a risk. You don't know how disruptive it's going to be for your family or how difficult things are going to be. Respect. Or perhaps we say, I know the church keeps asking for money. They're always asking for money, but God wants me to be a good steward. And I, I've got my family to think about, and their financial security. Uh, oh, my job situation's not certain either. So I, I, I really can't commit serious money to that. Or even, well, I fear God might be calling me to that poorly paid or stressful ministry, which might necessitate moving to a really difficult place miles from my family and friends. Think of David Lowry, one of our mission partners in Senegal. No. Our God calls us to take risks, and gloriously, he knows those risks, and he protects us, and he reassures us when we're anxious, and he holds us in his arms, he carries us through troubled times. God gives us courage to step into the unknown. So as it says in Matthew, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Back in Matthew, if we trust him, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, not relying on our own understanding and limited view. Let's take some risks. Let's step out in faith. Second one. A Samaritan goes the extra mile. Look in verse 34. 
He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He used his precious travelling stock of oil, wine, and his first aid kit. He found an inn, possibly out of his way and not his planned destination. He stayed there overnight just to look after the man. As it says, he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He gave money and promised to return to settle up any additional costs. He took out those two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for extra expense. Does that sound like us? For me, God, God has given me a very, very worthy mission. I'm very busy running Hoveraid, as many of you know. And helping SSYI, the youth charity. And preparing sermons. You might doubt that last one if you listen to this. I'm too busy to stop out and reach out now to help in other contexts. Surely, surely, we must stick to being good stewards of the gifts he's given us. Stick to fulfilling the responsibilities we have for families, jobs, home. Maybe. One of my um, hoverators, I'm looking over there so that the slide magically arrives, by the way. Which it magically does. One of our hoverate supporters, the one on the left there. Becca, has, she's just run a half marathon, you can probably see there, um, to gain sponsorship income for Hoveraid. She's not a fitness freak, not like Doc Marchman or the entire Georgiadis family. This was a sacrifice. With little glory, it cost her money, effort, time, struggle. She went the extra mile, or in her case, 13 miles. Or on the right there, some of you may know, that's my brother. He's a busy lad. He's a magistrate. He's a charity trustee and fundraiser. He volunteers teaching the Bible to primary school children. And he's a lay minister running weekly services and preaching. And yet, he does all that. He spotted an old lady living down the road in, in Caversham near Reading alone who needs medicines collecting, who needs taking to hospital appointments. Meals providing, garden fettling. He definitely goes the extra mile. So, let us give sacrificially. Use what God has given us to meet needs we see that weren't necessarily in our plans. Reach out to that lonely neighbour. Serve on community committees. Give when there's a church appeal. I know. Christians are not the only people who can go the extra mile sacrificially to meet a need to help others. But surely, that is a mark of the transformation God is bringing in us, that we do sacrifice our own comfort for others, as well as sharing the good news of a future salvation. Like for the Samaritan, going the extra mile is not a burden, but a central part of the Christian life, and God equips us to do so. You know that verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me in Philippians. And the extra mile is but a small step compared to how much our God sacrificed in calling his son to the cross for us. Let's look out for those needs. The man in need by the roadside, be willing to meet them in God's strength. Go the extra mile. But finally... We learn from this parable that the Samaritan sees what Jesus sees. 
So, when Judge Rinder asks his clever question, Judge Rinder, that's an, an allusion for the younger element here, if you watch telly, he asks, Who is my neighbour? Who is it? In verse 29, Jesus' parallel tells us clearly that for the Good Samaritan, he's, he's the neighbour of the person in need, the man by the roadside. Regardless of tribal origin, religious affiliation, geographical home, social status, like these people here in, in Madagascar that I met and saw when I was there uh, last year. So when Jesus repeats the question after telling the story, asking, who is the neighbour to that man? Lord Denning can only reply, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. We are all neighbour to the person in need. They are our neighbour. That is what the Samaritan saw. That's what Jesus sees. That's what we are to see. Hoverate's mission is to live out our Lord's command to love our neighbours. Hoverade takes physical, spiritual healing and shares the love of Jesus with unreached communities. For Hoverade, those neighbours are 6,000 miles away in Madagascar. For here, us here this morning, they could be down our road, at our school, at our college, our workplace. Well, they could be mission partners somewhere in this country or abroad. They're people in need, wherever they are key part of the gospel of Christ our God cares about this world he's created he wants this world to thrive there are many needs physical and spiritual I don't think there's a hierarchy of needs here the wounded desperate man on the road to Jericho needed wounds treating he needed transport he needed funds he needed help he needed compassion and the Samaritan met those needs Jesus met such needs too. Healing, feeding, bringing back to life, as well as showing people the truth of eternity. And he calls us to see those needs, to be neighbours, to meet those needs, to take risks, to go the extra mile. That is what being Christ-like means. And as Jesus told the expert in the law in that final verse, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you speak to us. You give us what we need to obey you. You lead us where we should go. May we be people who listen and obey, who do as you command. In your strength and for your glory. Amen.